right, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 11 is where we are. Uh, last week we went through uh, Acts chapter 10. Today we're going through Acts chapter 11. Uh, we are going to do the whole chapter once again. So uh, as I joked last week, I hope you brought a sandwich. So, All right, uh, let me give you a little background on, on, on what's happening. If you were with us last week, uh, you know that Peter was uh, sent to the Gentiles, people that were not Jewish, uh, to preach the gospel to them and to, and to introduce them to the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see here, what we saw last week in Acts chapter 10, is that this was the last time that Peter was going to be used to bring a people group to be introduced to the Holy Spirit. He did it back at the beginning of Acts with the Jews. He did it in uh, Acts chapter 8 when he went to Samaria and was... Um, Introduced them there. And then now in Acts chapter 10, as we saw, he went to Caesarea, met with Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles as well. Um, now, this was a major change for Peter and for the Jewish believers. This was a huge thing for them. They, they, they could not wrap their heads around it. Um, and Peter, Peter had a, a struggle with it as well. If you, if you were with us last week, you know that um, he was given this vision of this sheep coming down out of heaven, and there were all kinds of unclean animals on it, and a voice accompanied that said, Peter, get up, make yourself a sandwich. And Peter said, it's in the Greek, trust me, it's in the Greek. Um, Peter said, whoa, Lord, I ain't going to do that. I've never eaten anything unclean. And uh, the response was, what I've said is clean. Don't you call it unclean. And this happened to him three times, and then it finally clicked with him that said, oh, wait a second, God wants me to do something here. God wants me to do something. And then at that very moment, there's a knock on the door, and there's uh, three guys from Caesarea saying, hey, we got this boy named Cornelius. Well, they probably didn't call him his boy because that was their boss. They said, our boss Cornelius wants to see you. And so Peter went with them. Um, and it was definitely taking him outside of his comfort zone. It was pulling him to a place that he wasn't used to. Now, what we're going to see in Acts chapter 11, though, is uh, even though Peter was on board with this, the rest of the church wasn't necessarily on board with it. Peter understood what God was doing, and Peter said, even though he had the audacity to say no at first, he quickly got on board. The rest of the church was like, what are you doing, man? What, what, what do you got going on here? Sometimes the needed change is met with resistance because change is tricky and change is uncomfortable. We don't like to change things. We like things to stay the way that they are. Right? In my office right now, Tina's freaking out because actually I'm getting kind of nervous too. My, my office has exploded. And I can trace it back to we got a new chair. Right? And, and it totally threw off the dining. Tina loves the chair. The kids love the chair. The chair looks nice. But it totally threw off the whole dynamic. And so sometimes being in there is uncomfortable. But the change has been good because now I don't have to sit on the folding chair. I actually get to sit in the comfortable blue chair and Tina can sit in the, the, uh, the big uh, recliner chair. Um, change is tricky. Change is uncomfortable. But we need to be willing that the change that God is asking us to do is going to help us reach our community more effectively. Now, as we dig into Acts chapter 11, what we're going to see is we're going to see three different responses that took place as the uh, church warmed to the idea of the Gentiles being believers. So let's pray and then we're going to dive into this. Father God, I thank you for Acts chapter 11. I thank you for, um, 
for Peter being willing to step out of his comfort zone and to, uh, to go to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel to them. Because each one of us that's here that is not a Jewish believer can trace our spiritual genealogy back to the moment that Peter proclaimed the gospel to Cornelius. If Cornelius had not been given the gospel and accepted it, then it's, it's very unlikely that any of us that are not Jewish would be sitting here in this building today. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds. We ask that you would bind any distractions. Lord, if there's uh, any of, of any spiritual influences that are taking place that are trying to draw our minds to what kind of burrito we're going to have or what we have to do this afternoon or any of those things, Lord, I ask that you would bind them. Help us to stay focused on your word. Make us different people as a result of us being here today. We pray all of this in your beautiful name. Amen. You can kind of tell where my, my mind was going in that prayer. So the first thing that I want us to see as we take a look here is the Jews accepted the Gentiles. Now, this was not an easy thing for them. All right. Uh, after Peter had shared the gospel with Cornelius and the Holy Spirit, they asked him, they said, Peter, can you stay and help us? We don't really know what's going on. We don't really know what we're doing. You seem to have, you seem to know the scriptures very well. We'd like you to stay and teach us. And so Peter said, yeah, I can do that. Things are good back home. Things are great. Um, I can do that. So he, he stayed and he was teaching them and helping them. Now, of course, word of what was happening in Caesarea quickly spread out. Caesarea was a big town. People were coming and going all of the time. You have to imagine that there were other believers from other cities that came in, saw that Peter was hanging out with Gentiles and went, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. And, and so word spread. And, and, and one of the things that, that I think is kind of interesting is even though they didn't have phones, they didn't have email, they didn't have instant messenger and, and all of those things, word quickly spread from Caesarea back to Jerusalem. It's about 30, 30, 30 32 miles from there. And word got back there. And what was interesting was the fact that this was controversial news. And we're going to see that here in just a moment when we see this. And what I, what I found interesting is, have you all noticed how quickly controversy spreads? If something is negative, it's like, a, it's like a match in a gasoline factory. I don't know if they have gasoline factories, but you, you know what, I, the, the, what I'm trying to get. It spreads everywhere. Uh, not too long ago, we were in a business meeting, and I suggested some things that were controversial. And before I got to my house, 15 minutes later, I already had messages from people wanting to give their opinion on the controversial things that I had said. That's how quickly negative news and controversial things spread. And by the time Peter left uh, Caesarea and got, that was, you guys were supposed to laugh at that. I guess that was a little too close to home, wasn't it? All right, anyway, too soon? It's been six months, people. It's been six months. By the time Peter got back to Jerusalem, though, there was a group waiting for him. There were people there like, oh, when Peter gets here, we're going to give him a talking to. We're, we're going to let him know what we think. And this group, the scripture tells us, let me read Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
And I gotta tell you, that is probably the worst name I've ever heard for a group of people, right? You got the Republican Party, you got the Democratic Party, you got the Circumcision Party. I don't think I want to be associated with that. But the, the Circumcision Party, these were a, a group of Jewish believers who were still holding tightly to the law and th thought that even though they had put their faith in Jesus, they still had to follow the law and they still had to do that. They believed that in order for somebody to be a believer, they had to become a Jew and then they could become a believer. They had to convert to Judaism and, and so on. Um, they didn't understand that because of Jesus, the outward works and the signs required by the law were no longer necessary. They didn't understand that the only thing that would bring salvation was faith in Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with the works of the law. Now, to make matters worse, to make matters worse, the circumcision party, they weren't even upset with Peter that he took the gospel to the Gentiles. What does this Bible tell us they were upset about? They were upset because Peter went in and had dinner with them. Peter went to the, the Gentiles and went in and started breaking parts of their law. He sat down and had a nice ham sandwich. Or he probably sat down and had some uh, of Tina's delicious pork roast, right? <laughs> Dan knows what I'm talking about. They were upset with them because of that. They, weren't, they were upset because Peter had gone against their traditions. They were unhappy that Peter was changing things instead of rejoicing with him that a whole bunch of new people had accepted Christ and were now a part of the Christian family. They were upset that, that things were changing, that they weren't doing things the way we've always done them, and, and now they, instead of rejoicing over the fact that there were now people who are going to heaven as a result of that. And sadly, this happens all too often with us today. Right? We hear that a group of people is getting saved and, and, and people are coming to know the Lord, but we don't like the methods that were used to bring them to the Lord. All right? I, 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 honestly, I, I'm, I'm probably going to step on some toes here if I'm going to do it anyway. Some of y'all are upset that I'm wearing blue jeans this morning. All right? I've had comments where people are like, yeah, your message was good, but I don't like what you're wearing. Okay? Right? I've had people say that to me. Right? Not, not rejoicing over the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed, but upset because I'm not wearing a suit and tie. It's happened. Right? There have been groups who they use a different type of music than we do. All right? and, and instead of rejoicing over the fact that uh, people are being introduced to Christ, we're griping and arguing over the type of music that's being used. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again this week. A healthy church will do anything short of sinning to bring the gospel to people outside of the church. And we have to be willing to accept those things if it means that people are going to be introduced to Jesus Christ. Peter, of course, he had nothing to fear. Right? He had this group, the, the circumcision party. He probably heard like, on his way, he's like, the circumcision party is looking for you. I'd have been like, it's a circumcision party. I'd have been, I'd have been laughing and, and cutting up like, really? It's like, uh, never mind. Um, and in Acts chapter 11, 4 through 17, Peter meets with them and he says, hey, this is what went down. Let me explain to you what went down. And he had three pieces of evidence that he uses to make his case. 
The first thing is he tells them, he tells them about the vision that he had of the sheet coming down with the, uh, the animals on it and the message of Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter saying, I ain't doing that. And uh, being rebuked by God and saying, what I've told you, it, what I've called clean, don't you dare call it unclean. He told them about this vision. Um, and you have to wonder, while, while, this was going, while this was happening, if it didn't help take Peter's memory back to another time where he told Jesus no, not to do something. In Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 23, I reference this all the time. It says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter, same guy we're talking about, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And if y'all have any church experience, you know what's coming next. Jesus turned to him and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Peter, clearly he learned from this because after he told God no in the vision, he's like, oh wait, I better get on, I better get on board because God's about to do something big. The second piece of evidence that Peter used was the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he went to Cornelius, he took six guys with him. And so when they came back and the people were like, dude, why did you go to them? What's going on? He tells them, well, first of all, I had this vision. And then the next thing we know, the, the Holy Spirit shows up. He took six guys with him so that he would have people that could back him up and say, yeah, we saw that go down. We saw the Holy Spirit come. We saw them um, Talking in, we saw them talking in tongues or speaking in other languages. And then the third thing was that Peter used the scripture going back to something that Jesus was talking about when he was talking about John the Baptist's baptism of how John was going to baptize them with water, but that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Peter lays out all of this evidence as to, to why he did these things. And he concludes his defense by saying this, how could I possibly hinder God. Think about that for just a moment. How could I possibly hinder God? Do you know how much arrogance it would take for you to stand up and say, no, God, we're not doing that? You're telling the God of the universe that the methods and the changes and the things that he wants to do to bring the gospel to other people, you have the audacity to go, no, God, we're not doing that. Peter understood, and Peter said, how could I be a hindrance to God. He understood what, that God wanted to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and Peter was all in on doing that. To their credit, though, at this time, the Jewish people began to understand. Because the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 11, let me go down to verse, um, verse 18, it says, When they heard this, they became silent. There were no more arguments that they could make at that time. Peter had laid out a pretty convincing case as to, hey, God called us to do this. God gave me this vision. God talk, or Jesus talked about it in Scripture. The Holy Spirit has come. What are you going to say about that? And they had nothing to say. And then it goes on and says, and they glorified God, saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. 
They broke out and they started to, to praise in regards to that. Now, this is the way that Christians are to accept each other. Focusing on our oneness in Christ and not our differences. As we will see, though, the worship by the circumcision party was short-lived. Later on, it, it down the... I don't know. Okay. I, you said drinking two cups of coffee was going to help my attention. And it, it's, I'm all over the place. But uh, later on, they're going to be back to their troublemaking ways. We're going to see that um, when, when Peter, or I'm sorry, when Paul gets involved. Um, and, but we need to focus on the mission of the kingdom and the furtherance of the gospel rather than things that threaten to tear our church apart. And I think sometimes, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to say this. I think sometimes we allow petty squabbles. And we allow things that, that are, are, are different to become huge, festering issues. And rather than focusing on spreading the gospel and saying, yes, you do things this way and I do things this way, but the gospel is going forward, we allow it to tear us apart. And what happens is, is and I told Tina this this morning, the church is the visible manifestation of God's glory to our community. I wish that was original with me. I would copyright that in a heartbeat. The church is the visible manifestation of God's glory to our community. And when we're arguing and fighting with each other, what does that say about God's glory? When we're bickering at each other and we're sniping at each other and doing all of those things over things that don't in the long scheme matter, what does that say about God's glory? What we need to do instead is to get on our face before God and say, God, I've been doing things this way. I believe you're calling us to go this way. I'm going to go along with it because I want your glory proclaimed to people that are outside of the church. Now, the second thing that we see is after the Jews accepted the Gentiles, we see that the Jews encouraged the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 8, the, the very first part of Acts chapter 8, this is right after Stephen has been martyred. Uh, those of you that have been with us for that time, you, you know the story. Um, that there was a persecution that broke out. And when that persecution broke out, a lot of the Jewish believers that were in the, uh, in the city of Jerusalem scattered, and they went to a ton of different cities all over the place. But they didn't go going into hiding. They went proclaiming the gospel. And the Bible tells us here, uh, I'm going to read uh, 11, 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So the persecution started and people spread out all over, all over the, uh, the Roman Empire, but they still only gave, the, they only gave the gospel to Jewish believers. They were still stuck in that mindset that the gospel was only for the Jewish believers. Then Cornelius happened, Cornelius happened and word started to spread and the next verse tells us, But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. So eventually, acceptance of, acceptance of, the, uh, of, the, of the Gentiles as being believers spread. And so people who had, who had left Jerusalem and gone to these other cities... They went to Antioch and they said, hey, we're in Antioch. We're going to share the gospel with everybody, not just the Jewish people. Um, Luke, the author of Acts, he, he uses the word Greeks here. 
um, to differentiate them from the Jews. He's not just saying that they only spoke to Greek people. Like, let me check your ID. Are you Greek? Okay, we can share the gospel with you. He's saying that anybody who wasn't a Jew, they considered uh, a Greek. Um, And while there were about 16 different cities named Antioch, this Antioch that they're talking about was the largest. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome and Alexandria. Um, it was also, it was a beautiful city. I mean, there were, there were massive temples and all of these things built up. It was also a terribly wicked city. I mean, the only, the only city in the things that I read, the, the, the only city that I saw that was more wicked than Antioch was the city of Corinth. And if you've read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you know that was a pretty messed up place. Um, and if you're following us through, uh, as we read through the New Testament this month, we read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians this past week. Um, but it was an incredibly vile and wicked place. As with most of the Roman cities, there were temples and shrines to all of the Roman deities. But the major one in this city was to a goddess named Daphne. And part of the worship, um, I'm looking around to make sure I can say this. Okay, Part of the worship of Daphne involved temple prostitutes. And so to worship, worship Daphne, you had to go into the temple of Daphne and you had to engage in activities with the temple prostitutes as a means of worship to her. Right? That's how vile and wicked this city was. Um, despite this, though, the believers began to share the gospel and the scripture tells us many people came to know Christ. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 talks about this. It says, he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. There were people that saw Antioch as a mission field and said, there are people here who need Jesus. In spite of all of the the chaos and the wickedness and the vileness that was going on there, there were people that went into that city to proclaim the gospel. And in doing so, they established a new church. Now, the news of this group of new believers in Antioch spread, and it eventually got back to Jerusalem. That's where the the main church was started. It eventually got back to them in Jerusalem. And feeling some responsibility to this new church in Antioch, the church leaders began to look for a way to help the church in Antioch. And so what they did was they chose someone to go on a missionary journey and that man was Barnabas. Now, we've, we've met Barnabas before. He's kind of been on the periphery. Back in Acts chapter 4, um, it, it, it talks about how as, as me, in order to meet the needs for people in the church, Barnabas took a piece of land and sold it and gave the money to the church. And then uh, in Acts chapter 9, after Saul is... Uh, after Saul has his um, experience with Christ and becomes a believer, and after he has to leave the city of Damascus, the first attempt on his life, when he goes to Jerusalem, everyone's scared of him. But who comes along and says, hey, let, 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 let's, let's, let's consider this guy. Let's see what God, what, what God wants to do with him. It was Barnabas. And so when it came time to find somebody to go to Antioch, to travel down the road, to go to this city and help this church, who did they think of? They thought of Barnabas. Now his name, he lives up to his name. His name means son of encouragement. So who better to go help a fledgling church continue to grow than than Barnabas? 
Barnabas came to Antioch and he encouraged the believers to remain true to the Lord, something that was needed given the amount of wickedness that was taking place all around them. I have a friend who has a church in Las Vegas, and it is a, it is a thriving church. I mean, it is a, it, it, they're, they're doing some amazing things. His church is needed out there because I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. They've got some good prime rib. They've got some nice swimming pools. They've got a lot of bad stuff that goes on in Vegas. Right? There's a reason that the, uh, the catchphrase is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But there are people who are needed to go into those places to encourage the Christians. We are right here in this area. God didn't call me to Las Vegas. I think Tina is rejoicing over the fact that God didn't call me to Las Vegas. I'd eat prime rib every day, man. It would be so good. I'm sure it's probably low quality prime rib. I'd still eat it. I'd be like, oh, this is great. Um, but Barnabas went and began to encourage them and, and teach them and help them to stay strong. And what was the result of all of this taking place? Even in the midst of all of this wickedness, the church continued to grow. You would think in a place that dark that Christianity wouldn't be able to get a root. But guess what? The church continued to grow. And at some point, it got too big for Barnabas. It got, there was too much going on for Barnabas to be able to do it. So he said, guys, I got to take a little break. Time out for just a moment. And he left and he went to a city that was nearby called Tarsus. Who lives in the city of Tarsus? Saul, right? He, he, his buddy Saul from Jerusalem, who had to skedaddle out of Jerusalem because people were trying to kill him yet again. I, I think I'd get a better friend if everybody's always trying to kill your friend. Barnabas went to Tarsus and began to look for Saul. And when he found Saul, he said, hey, Saul, I got this thing going on. God is doing an amazing work in Antioch. I want you to come help me. Now, why didn't, why, didn't Saul, or why didn't Barnabas send word back to Jerusalem and say, hey, we got this amazing work going on. Send us some of the boys from, from Jerusalem to send them to come help me out. The reason was is because Barnabas remembered that there was a special calling on Saul's life and he was going to encourage Saul to continue pursuing that. Acts 11, 26, they, 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 they get, before I get there, they get back, they go back to, uh, uh, to um, Antioch. There we go. I, I got all these city names running through my head right now. They go back to Antioch. And Saul begins to, uh, and for a year they begin to, they continue to, to teach and encourage the believers in the church. And what happens? The church continues to grow. Even in the darkest places, encouragement and preaching the gospel will cause it to grow and people will come to Christ. At no point should we ever give up on an area. We should go in and proclaim the gospel because that is what is going to be needed to bring people to Jesus. Now, Acts eleven twenty six. let me read this verse to you. It says this. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. It's Barnabas talking to, about Saul. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It was the first time that they were doing it. Now, the re that, that term, we use it as a, as a badge of honor today. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. But when it, when it was first, when it, when it first became, uh, what was happening was people in Antioch, they, they took the word Christ and they added the suffix I-A-N, which means the party of. 
And so it's, they were the party of Christ. And it was, it was a derisive term. It was meant to, to kind of belittle them and put them down and all of those things. But the, the believers took it and made it a badge of honor. Now what's happened though in, in our culture is you ask just about anybody, guess what they're going to tell you? I'm a Christian. Right? We use the, the term Christian to differentiate ourselves from other people groups, right? So you, you, if, if you might meet somebody, they go, oh, I'm a, I'm a Muslim, I'm, you know, I'm a Buddhist, I'm whatever. A lot of people, because they're not a Muslim or a Buddhist or, 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 or whatever other religious sect they, they might belong to, they'll go, I'm a Christian. But in order to be a Christian, there has to be certain things about your life. Just because you read, I, I, I was reading a survey this week, I, I shared it with Tina, and she, had, she was shocked by it too. Um, we, were, we were reading a survey about uh, Bible, Bible liter, biblical literacy. And when, when the group did, the, uh, the Barner group did the survey, um, the, 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 the regulation, I'll use that word, I don't think it's the right word, the, the requirement to be considered a Bible user or a Bible reader is that you read your Bible four times over the course of a year. Four times over the course of a year makes you a Bible reader. All right, I see some of the, the skepticism on, on people's faces. Does that make you a Bible reader? All right, I get, on my, I get on my kid's bike like maybe four times a year. That doesn't make me a bicyclist, all right? But in order to be able to call ourselves a Christian, there have to be certain things about who we are. Some folks call themselves Christian because they show up for church once in a while. Uh, they, they, they put their spare change in the offering plate, and maybe once or twice a year they brush the dust off their Bible and they open it up. Uh, Warren Wearsby said this, It takes more than that for a sinner to become a child of God. It takes repentance of sin in, in it, Repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins on the cross and rose again to give us eternal life. That is what is required to call yourself a Christian. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, the third thing we see is that the Jew, after we saw that the Jews encouraged the Gentiles, the third thing that we see in this chapter is the Jews received help from the Gentiles. This church in Antioch is growing, and it's actually becoming a powerhouse for the gospel in that part of the community, or in, in that part of the, the empire. The church at Antioch was growing and becoming an important center for the spread of the gospel message. And there were some prophets that came down from Jerusalem to, to visit the church and to see what was going on. One of those prophets was a man named Agabus. All right, next, if you don't already have a name, I, I suggest Agabus would be a good one. We'd have DJ Kevin Agabus. There we go. Now, Agabus was a prophet. And one day in church, one day, one day while, they're, while they're worshiping, Agabus stands up and he gives a prophecy that there is going to be a massive famine taking place in the region of Judea, which is just outside of Jerusalem. This was a message from the Holy Spirit 
Um, and it actually did take place. There was a famine in that area um, during the reign of Claudius Caesar in AD 41 to 45. This is an actual historical event. It was particularly severe in the area of Judea, and many people starved because they didn't have money to buy what little food there was. So they, they, they didn't have enough money to buy it. And this was a true prophecy, a prediction of events that was going to take place. Many people claim to be interested in prophecy. I was listening to an uh, audio book this week, and the guy that wrote the book said, if you take a survey and you ask your church, um, what do they want to study next? The number one thing at the top of that list is going to be prophecy. And not because they're interested, they just want to find out who the Antichrist is going to be. Right? I thought it was Barack Obama. <clears throat> I, never mind. All right. That, that was a joke, people. Don't, uh, don't, don't, don't string me up. Um, but a, a, prophe- a prophecy is not there to just uh, satiate our curiosity. It's there to encourage us to do good works in light of what's going to take place. Now, remembering all of the good that the Jerusalem church had done for them, the church at Antioch, they said, well, we've got to do something to help them out. All right. This is going to be really bad on them. This is, going to go, this is going to go terrible for them. We need to do something to help them out. And so what they did um, was they took up an offering. Each person brought, the, the scripture tells us that each person brought according to what they were able. They gathered this offering and they said, listen, those of you that are struggling in, in uh, Judea because of this, we want to give this to you to help you out. It's very likely that the people in Antioch had never met anybody from Judea. At this time, they didn't have cars, they didn't have trains, they didn't have planes. You can't throw your mama off a a train or any of those things. Um, And so most people never, never, never traveled outside of a 25, 30 mile radius of where their city was. And so Antioch and Judea were separated by this great geography. And yet, the people in the church of Antioch were so moved by the gospel and the encouragement that they had received from these other churches that when difficult times came, they said, you know what, we're going to help them out. And so they gathered up this offering and they went to Barnabas and Saul and they said, guys, we've got this offering. We need you to travel to Judea and give it to the people of Judea. And you can only imagine the encouragement that this was to the church of Judea and quite possibly also to the church at Jerusalem. The Gentile church was ministering to the Jewish church just as the Jewish church had ministered to the Gentile church. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Now, it's a beautiful thing when Christians work to encourage each other. I got, a, uh, I got a text message from somebody in the church this week, and I got to tell you, it was, it was absolutely wonderful. It was, th- th- this person said to me, I never, I've never thanked you for this, but since you've been at the church, I've been in the word of God more, and I've never felt closer to my Savior. I, I'm, I'm embellishing it a little bit for the sake of drama, but I've never felt closer to God than I do right now. And I got to tell you, that lifted me up. It encouraged me. It, it, it kept me going as I was walking, you know, having, struggling with some dark times there. But sadly, encouragement can be difficult to come by. Would you all agree with that? 
Encouragement can be difficult to come by. It is much easier and it's a lot more fun to share those salacious news, that controversial stuff that gets people all riled up. Let me give you an example of this. This past week, um, and and, and I I was sharing this with Tina, and she went, I saw the same article. This past week, um, there was an article. Now, let let me go back a little bit. There was a lady. She's a a well-known author and leader in, in, uh, in in our denomination. And she writes books, and she's got a podcast and all of these things. Word came out that she was separating and divorcing her husband. That despite her best efforts to save their marriage, he wasn't willing to reconcile, and so she was filing for divorce. The news of that got shared thousands and thousands of times. It went everywhere. It was all over the place. I mean, there were people that were, were, were positive, you know, were, were offering prayers. There were people that were ripping this lady apart. This week, she posted on Facebook that she and her husband had reconciled and that they were going to fight and preserve their marriage. It got shared about 300 times. Thousands of times that her marriage was falling apart. A couple of hundred that her married, that they were fighting to save her marriage. I, and like I shared at the beginning, you know, sometimes I'll say things, some things, and before I even get out of the church parking lot, I'm off, my phone is already blowing up. People upset about things that I said because discouraging news and things like that, it's so much more fun to spread. But why is encouragement so powerful? Why was it so uplifting to the church at Antioch that more people came to know Christ because of Barnabas' encouragement? It keeps us pushing on as we share Christ. When we know that somebody is in our corner, and when we know that somebody is praying for us, and that somebody wants the best for us, it causes us to keep moving forward. The church at Antioch was encouraged, and they became an important hub for the gospel. In a city that dark, that should not have happened. And yet, they became an important missionary church, as we're going to see as we continue on. So here's my question to you. Who are you encouraging in their Christian walk? Who are you looking for this week to say something positive or about or just saying, hey, I'm praying for you. You have no idea how powerful those words are. I am praying for you. I want God's best for you. All of the darkness, (laughs) it can cause it to go away for just a little bit. Who are you encouraging this week? Are you like Barnabas, encouraging other believers and helping others to come to Christ? Or are you like members of the circumcision party? Right? You don't want to be a card-carrying member of that. You're always on the lookout for something negative to point out. Right? There are people, and I'm going to close with this, there are people who you see them coming, and you know what you want to do? As quickly as you can. You want to run in the other direction. Because you know that nothing nice is going to come out of their mouth. Right? Be like Barnabas, not like these other folks. Let me leave you with these verses. This is Luke chapter 6, 44 through 45. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. 
A good, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the encouragement that Barnabas was to the, uh, to the church at Antioch. And Lord, as a result of his encouragement and the, the things that he did there uh, through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the church at Antioch grew and many people were added to, to the Christian family, Lord, that many people's names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Father, I pray that that could be said of each one of us, that we would be known as a Barnabas. And sadly, I, I can reflect on my own life, and I know that there are times where I have not acted as if I was Barnabas, that there are times where I know that I am just constantly dumping negativity. And so, Father, I, I confess that, Lord. I confess my, my negativity to you, Lord, my, my, my bitterness and my anger and the, the hard feelings that I have uh, towards some people. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. And, Lord, I know that that story can probably be said time and time again here in this church and in churches across our county. But, Father, I pray that today would be the day that we make the commitment not to be negative all of the time, not to always point out the things that are wrong or the things that we don't like, but that we would do our very best to encourage people because we know that it pushes them toward you and it's a, it's a way for us to have opportunities to share the gospel. Father, if there's anyone here today who is not a believer, who has never had an opportunity to trust you, who's never put their faith in you and had their heart of stone removed and a heart of flesh given them so they can be reconciled back, Lord, I ask that today would be the day that that would take place. Father, I ask that you be with us over the next couple minutes as we, as we pray, as we uh, give things to you, Lord, that, that, you would, uh, that today we could look back and say that today, July 15, 2018, was the start of something massive taking place in the life of Grace Baptist Church and in Shenandoah Junction, West Virginia. We ask this in your beautiful name.